0: Well, you doing? It's an honor and a privilege to talk to you. really excited because we, we connected a little while ago on LinkedIn and we have uh, mutual interest in the subject of church safety and security. I, you're a little bit different than one of my normal guests, but you're not in the U.S. You're in South Africa. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation to hear about similarities maybe between church security in America and South Africa. But I'm sure there's a lot of differences as well between how security is taken at House of Worship in South Africa. So firstly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Great and and tell, us a, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey, Udine. So how, how did you get into church security in South Africa?
1: So I'm passionate about security uh, in the private sector. I've been working for a number of companies. And uh, I'm not born and bred a Christian. You know, when I got married, I actually converted Christian. And uh, I think over the last uh, sort of seventeen years I've sort of been active uh, in the space uh, where I saw a gap in church security um whereas you can apply what you've learned throughout your career uh within the space so yeah i have sort of got active within that uh, within that space in in church security in a specific church in south Africa and uh, yeah it's been a phenomenal journey and and uh, you know been very happy about contributing to, you know to to these churches yeah
0: yeah, and it's it's nice to talk to you because when I think, you know, when when you think of South Africa, you have to think of apartheid, and and when you think of the the country post Nelson Mandela, it still sometimes comes across as being a dangerous and scary place to live. I, I don't know if it is, if that's true or not, but that's sort of sometimes my perception being here in the in the US. Um, talk us through a little bit about what what are some of the major threats that House of Worship face in south africa and i know you've got some slides we're going to go through in, in a few yeah. moments but i've sort of laid the foundation i mean is it as scary as simon thinks it is um tell us about uh,
1: it look south africa is not that scary you know uh you always speak to uh people in the globe and they say you know do you have like lions walking past your house no no we we don't you might uh, get a now or, or something walking past depending on where you are uh, but in terms of uh, safety, you know, like any other country, you have your good areas and you have uh, your areas that, uh, especially where the poverty line is and, you know, where, where crime is rife. So uh, there are some areas in South Africa that are super safe. We've got the best wildlife, got one of the seven wonders of the world, Table Mountain in Cape Town. So it's a fantastic place to actually live, uh, enjoy and stay here. I don't, you know, I don't see myself leaving South Africa really want to contribute in this space. So, so to answer your question, yes, there's a lot of uh, uh, sensationalization in the media sometimes, you know, where there's no background story about an incident, you know, you just saw something and then the whole context is it's taken out of context at, at certain times. But on the backdrop of what I'm saying, it is a dangerous place to be as well. You know, the murder rate is high. If you look at the war between Russia and Ukraine, uh, which started, uh, uh, you know, I think it was the 24th of February, 22. And if you look at it, I think they're about a year and 10, 10 months into that war. Uh, I think there's about 9,600 people that were killed in that war. But in South Africa, in seven months, we over 10,000 in uh, in seven months in terms of the number of murders. So, yes, it is a safe place in certain areas. But again, you need to know where to go. You need to, you, you need to know where to navigate. You just cannot come to the country and not know where to go.
0: Yeah, and it's funny that you say it. So one of the things that goes through my mind is... In in the U.S., there's a lot about gun culture. Uh, There's been an increase in mass murders at house of worship. What are some of those things that you fear could happen in a church in South Africa? Is it more violent crime, more sort of extreme crime murder? What what are some of the sort of the threats that house of worship in South Africa faces?
1: Look, There there are threats. uh, It's recent, I would say, over the past six months, we would have seen that there has been that threat of an active shooter coming to church. And uh, the, the threat that we face here in South Africa is more robberies and thefts. So it can be a street robbery where you've got worshippers or, you know, churchgoers walking to church, goers, uh, walk into church uh, and they are robbed either, you know, when they walk into or leave in church or whilst you're in the congregation. And, you know, even whilst the pastor is conducting his sermon, it, a robbery can take place. So, Wow, uh, like live
0: live during the service that could be a robbery what wow. has
1: happened it, it's happened during a live service, the pastor was just told to put down lay down, and this was stream live um, wow. people could see this happening so so yes, it does happen, but we've never had we've had situations where people were hurt, but that was uh, you know in some introverts it's normally it is just they they take your goods and they just they just want your your valuables and really
0: yeah, so interesting so in South Africa. If I heard you right, it's less about a mass shooting or an active shooter. It's more about a robbery or a theft where someone is going to enter the church and then may even commit a robbery um, mid- mid-service. mid So interesting, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Or you get, you know, conflict between certain churches, you know, and and uh, then you might see in some instances, you know, either this conflict may lead to assassinations and murders, et cetera. So you, you do see that as well. It's not very common. You don't see it all the time, but it has happened in the past.
0: And so in the U S we think, or oh, some people call it a safety team, a response team, a security team. Uh, what what does a Sunday look like in relation to security in South Africa? Do most people have some type of volunteer team or do they generally have law enforcement? What, what does that look like it so, uh, in in particular
1: in South Africa, you know the private security can police the police. You know, so there's far more private security than there is law enforcement in the country. So a normal a normal Sunday, uh, if you go to any one of the churches, depending on where they're located, you'll always see multiple layers of security. You know, uh, you'll always see a fence. You know, there's a in some instances you'll see burglar bars. You'll see a, a people have alarm response etc., you know, when you get to get to the church. So you'll always have that uh, in place. In some instances, you you might not have that, but it depends on the area. Uh, but in most areas, you would see, because petty crime is a problem uh, due to the levels of unemployment in the country, which is extremely high. Uh, I have a slide up, which I'll show that, you know, the unemployment rate in this country is high. And due to that, the poverty levels are high. So petty crime becomes a problem. You know, they, they can even We've had instances where you get to a church and, and they've stolen your gate. Wow. Um, and, the, and the reason they do that is to for scrap metal. You know, they go and sell the scrap metal to get a plate of food or to survive. So those are, are realities that happen as well. Yeah.
0: yeah. Sort of robberies and thefts over sort of mass shootings and active assailant, the sort of private security and then talk a bit about sort of maybe like pastoral protection. How does how does that operate in South Africa? I'm assuming on everything that you've said, yeah. the, the pastor's safety is taken quite seriously with some of the threats that you that you have. But remember, talk us through that.
1: Yeah, it depends on. Uh, you must remember that in South Africa, at least eighty percent of the sixty-one plus minus sixty-one million people are Christian, right? So there's a lot of Christians in in South Africa, in in, in total Africa. So. If you look at congregation level, it depends on the church and it depends. Uh, some churches have private security during divine services, you know, whereas some churches don't. They use what we, they use the actual uh, church goers who are sort of deacons uh, or brothers to actually do the protection at church. So these are volunteers that will do the protection. They will what we call doorkeepers. They will greet people at the door. Uh, they will welcome people. And whilst they're welcoming people, they're also looking at suspicious behavior. They know, they know who are the regular church goers. If they do see someone that is it's out of the norm, that's not a congregant that regularly attends divine services, that will be flagged through a process uh, in the most humble way, because you cannot, you know, you cannot close your door to anyone, but you mm-hmm. can be mindful because in some instances you'll have people coming in and you have petty theft or cell phone theft in the church, you know, those types of tests. The person is just coming there. And as soon as you go up for communion, now communion is different in certain churches. Some some churches you have to go up. Some is some you served on your seat. But if you are up in such communion where you you leave your bag and you go up to the altar, then you you at risk of your bag being stolen or some of your cell phone or your valuables uh, taken. So so in that instance, so from a to answer your question regarding pastor protection, yes. So it's not necessarily on a day-to-day basis, uh, every divine service, but it depends on, on the um, uh, popularity of that specific pastor. If that pastor has a significant popularity where people uh, feel that if they, they touch that pastor, they will be healed and so forth, then obviously the threat is of the fact that you know you can get uh, stampedes, you know overcrowding those types of things, and obviously there will be different layers that will put in place for that. And if you have global leaders, People coming outside from our country, uh, you know, uh, global church leaders. And and I think that's where the protection will come in. And there'll be a layered approach. We'll have a journey management plan. There'll be a risk assessment being done for those uh, visitors that are coming into the country.
0: Yeah. Um, So before we go and jump into the slides then, so uh, if you're listening to this on the audio podcast, uh, please jump over to the YouTube channel because UD's got some slides we're going to walk through in a moment. So listen to the audio, but come back and watch the video as well. Um, let's talk about technology then. So in the U S it's generally access control cameras, um, maybe an intrusion system, um, people are moving more into like mass notification apps and stuff now to sort of warn about emergencies. What, what, what type of trends do you see in relation to technology, um, in South Africa for church security?
1: Our first piece of technology is our people is our eyes on the ground. Uh, that's our first piece of technology is our ground intelligence from our from the people on the ground the the second piece is obviously your radios if you are if you do have two-way radios that you can use within line of sight you would have a two-way radio you would have basics such as uh, your torches, etc you'll have in place in terms of cctv uh, and having some sort of surveillance it's not very common to be honest at church level you know it also depends on on the church and depends uh, on the you know because this, you know, depends on the offering, depends on uh, how much money comes in on a Sunday, etc. They all determine what measures that you want to put in place in terms of having surveillance or off-site monitoring uh, for that case. So it's not common, you know, to but what is common is to have a basic alarm. That is common. To have door contacts, to have beams, uh, beams in the churchyard, that is common where you would have that sort of layered approach. And then if the if the alarm triggers, we have key holders, and then arm response comes and uh, takes the property. But surveillance, not that much at church level. Yes, at corporations, 100%. But when it comes at congregation level, uh, it's not very common. It's, it's more of your and what, alarms uh, and those things.
0: Why do you think that is, you, Dean? Why are cameras not very common? In- I guess in the U.S., people use cameras for... But yeah. detection and also like safeguarding children stuff. But why in South Africa are cameras not too common?
1: Yeah, look, I think uh, from your risk assessment will determine that, right? But I think people are, are quite happy on the fact that they don't need surveillance uh, because the alarm is adequate uh, enough. Uh, because in most cases, if there is a theft, uh, I don't think you know what the with the crime rate and the some people don't really acknowledge the fact that the police can do their work. You know. And these types of crime get sort of, it's not a serious crime. So, you know, you register a case, nothing happens about it. It's just for insurance purposes, right? Um, it's not like in America. We are most likely, if you do register cases, you know, these cases are being attended to, but our conviction rate is not great, even though we got the best laws in the country. So I think in terms of that surveillance, uh, you know, it will depend. But mostly it's actually, if you do put surveillance cameras, it will be on the exterior part not on the interior part uh, of the church you know because also we have similar to the U.S. you have your privacy laws we've got something called the protection of personal information um, and and obviously you've got to have uh, signage and all these regular integrity procedures put into place so 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 I, I guess that's what it is and also money finance you know you've got to maintain those cameras you know is it proactive or reactive you know because those cameras are just going to sit there and yeah and we have what yeah. we call power cuts load shedding so due to the frequency of the load sharing, you also blow the equipment if you don't have backup power and those types of things. So there's, there's, there's lots of uh, reasons why they, they don't do it. Yeah.
0: Well, I like what you said about the risk assessment drives that. And I know you're a physical security guy. That's why it resonates and rings true with me. But I think some people perhaps don't focus on their risk assessment here. They focus on well, I need cameras, I need access control, I need all these things as opposed to saying, you know, what is your risk and vulnerability which sort of really drives both technology solutions. So, yeah, interesting. I wrote down a note, sort of people and programs against your risk assessment determines what you need. So, yeah, good, good. Yeah. Uh, one last thing then before we dive into the slides you've got, i talk about some emergency operation plans. Um, a lot of the legalities here in the US, everyone needs emergency operations plan. Everyone needs to be trained to plan. Testing the plan through ta- um, through tabletops. What's it like in South Africa? Do a lot of houses of worship have emergency operations plans? Are they exercising them? Are they are they sort of training and doing tabletops? Tell us a little bit about um, EOPS. Yeah. So I
1: think it it is law in the country. We have something called the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which sort of governs uh, emergency uh, response and safety. You know, in terms of that, so you have to have like, for example, uh, one evacuation drill year at least at the minimum uh you could do that so I must say not not every congregation is is in the space where they've got live emergency plans where you've got active document it's been reviewed um you know where they actually do tabletop exercises on a regular basis etc etc it is there but it may not be very common in some uh, in at some churches it all depends because you have congregations in the in the poorer areas where people are not actually yeah. illiterate. Just remember that. So, you know, you've got illiterate people who cannot read. Um, you know, how do you actually then have a document? So, you have to use a different type of way of actually communicating, okay, in an emergency. So, you have to speak the language that they understand at their level uh, in terms of emergency response. But it will relatively be your baseline will always be covered uh, in your document. You know, we do encourage to to say, please, you know, have your exercises do it, but it's by law, right? They have to do it. So if the church doesn't do it, the actual uh, leader of the church can get a fine up to 10 million rand, which is about what, uh, just under, say about 700 US uh, dollars and up to 10 years imprisonment. So again, it is serious, and and so from especially from a fire perspective, if you if you haven't inspected your fire extinguishers, you know, and those types of things, it all governs those types of uh, fire equipment and you know fire safety, etc., to make sure that's in place.
0: And it sounds like there's a lot of trade-off between sort of illiterate people that perhaps you know, haven't had the opportunity or exposed to education, being at churches, yeah. um. So you know, it's more challenging for them. So you know, that's, that's fascinating to hear about. So let's let's go into your slides and let me see if i can put them on the screen here so again if you are listening yeah. to the audio podcast you dean's got some slides which we're showing so you can head on to the youtube channel which is just worship security academy if you want to see the slides that he's going to talk us through so you did touch on it earlier when you mentioned about the high unemployment so to so talk us through what we're seeing here then Eugene.
1: yeah the reason we put this up uh, is is just to show you globally we by far the highest if you look at the unemployment rate between the years of 18 and, and 24. So, you know, in terms of youth unemployment in the country is significantly high. Now, if you look at the crime levels in the country, it is led to poverty, you know, so if I'm sitting at home, I don't have a job, um, I don't know what to do, I, I need to eat at the end of the day, what do I go to? I resort to crime. And because I'm a police reservist as well, I, you know, I exposed to police operations uh, also in my line of work i'm exposed to police operations and when they uh, arrest these individuals you'll see that they actually they, they were not commit some of them were not committing a crime because of greed they were committing crime because they had no choice
0: necessity and, um
1: yeah. it, it was necessity so that's the reason i'm showing you that you know unemployment and it's something that government needs to is continuing to tackle but you know we've got elections this year it's going to be a tough one for for the country because, uh, you know, people are actually uh, reaching boiling point because, you know, the, the unemployment rate is increasing and something needs to be done because this has led to the increase of uh, crime levels in the country.
0: And you did question on this, sense. So in the, the, the U.S., when we're talking about your crime levels, going mm. back most probably, it could have been two decades ago. It could have been as less as 10 years ago. Uh, churches used to be untouched by criminals and they were seen as sacred and open venues and, and criminals didn't really go there to commit crime and like i said in the last you can mostly say two decades that's dramatically changed i'm um, seeing your crime numbers there has that changed how you've responded in the u.s to criminality in churches
1: absolutely i mean the the modus operandi has changed, uh, you know, it's, especially over the last, like you said, two decades. Yeah, it has significantly changed over the last 10 years. Um, and there's a number of reasons why it has changed uh, over the last 10 years. And where people have become numb to the fact that it's a church, they they are only after what they require to get an asset. Uh, it doesn't matter. You know, life is cheap sometimes because, you know, people get stabbed and killed for you know, mostly it's not necessarily guns, where in America it's different because, you know, your gun laws are different. Uh, so it, here in South Africa, maybe not the, the full accessibility to, to firearms, but they use weapons, other weapons such as knives. They call them pangas, longer knives. And, uh, you know, you've got uh, other types, you've got chop, choppers and these types of things. They use different types of weapons to actually, you know, get these type of assets. So again, yeah, that's how, how it's done in, uh, in South Africa.
0: Yeah, so let's move on to the next one then. What else did you have for us?
1: Yeah, so on the next slide, um, you'll have a look and see. So yeah. this is uh, some crime stats we just pulled up here just to show you in totality in terms of 100% that most 41% of crimes in South Africa are contact crimes. So the contact crimes are the most serious crimes in the country uh, where you'll see it's murder, attempted murder, assault, uh, you know, uh, rape, uh, you know, other sexual offences, et cetera. So it's quite serious, which is almost half of all crimes in, in South Africa is, is violent crime, you know. And then we've got other contact related crimes, uh, which are robberies, the ones that I spoke about now, aggravated robberies where they're using force uh, to obtain uh, an asset. Uh, and then you've got other serious crimes, commercial crime like fraud. You'll see fraud is not that high, even though cyber crime and those type of categories will fall under what we call commercial crime. But it's not that significant uh, at the moment. And then you've got other property-related crime, which is which is quite high. Like for example, hijacking of vehicles, theft out of motor vehicles, equates to about 24%. And that's also uh, that's also increased. So on this slide I'm just giving you a synopsis of what does it look like in terms of crimes in in uh, in South Africa.
0: Is uh, carjacking still high in in South Africa? I mean, obviously the percentage numbers there, but. Is that still something which is, is quite common in the country?
1: Common, 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 yeah. So, you know, if on average it would be about plus-minus 50 cars a, a day that's been stolen, um, that's now excluding trucks. Uh, you know, trucks and cargo crime, that's probably about plus-minus uh, or two a day. So, you know, these happening you know, on a daily basis. So there is a lot. Of, and then I'm talking not only at one. We've got nine provinces in South Africa, so it's out, to, it's out of the nine provinces, yeah.
0: Yes, fascinating. Yeah. Okay. If I go, um, to, the, yeah, go yeah. to the
1: next one. Yeah. If I go to the next slide in terms of, uh, we, we spoke about this earlier, Simon, in terms of what are the are the most common related church crimes. And you will, you will see that definitely theft and robberies stand out. There's been recent incidents where uh, churches have been robbed. There has been warnings uh, by the police who put out warnings to say, you know, church goers be careful. You know, when going to church, be vigilant, you know, put out some some safety notes. And then I was speaking about uh, the one that was serious in, in July of 2020, where there were, uh, you know, there was a dispute between uh, specific leadership in the church, which led to uh, a number of people uh, being killed. Uh, but again, that is um, that is not something that is common yeah, in, in South Africa. But if you look at when people are up on at church, on route to church, if they're special services, I spoke to you the last time about Thanksgiving got special divine services where for a fact the criminal the criminals know there are special divine services uh in south africa a lot of uh, money is cash is cash you know it's not electronic so whereas in the u.s you know a large portion you know you, you tap in you've got all it is electronic payments which are available in south africa and i think a lot of the churches are trying to change the uh, the mindset of churchgoers, because the churchgoers want to put money in the offering box, because that feels like that's where my blessing comes from, you know, mm. and to just go and ask someone, uh, especially the older generation, you know, to go and ask them to say, no, no, you got to scan this thing and put, put like a snap scan or <laughs> they're not going to do it, you know. So again, cash handling at church level is, continues to be a problem. And as soon as you deal with cash, it can be robbed.
0: Um, I was going to say, and that's interesting. So uh, a lot of cash goes through the church still, which obviously entices those robberies. Westman says, why robberies are quite high because they know there's going to be uh, cash inside the the church. So so what do churches do to try and combat that venue, Dean? Is there anything that um, people have been found successful to combat robberies around the church offering? Each church uh,
1: in South Africa would have uh, an offering plan. You know, so a plan on how they deal with finance. And I think they keep it tight in terms of the protocols when they deal with it. You know, even when they're counting, they, was, they, would, they would actually dedicate an area where they do the counting. It could be done by several people. Uh, no one will know who has the money, whether, it's, whether they bank it on the Sunday or whether they bank it the next day. They have their own methodology on how they get that cash. And it's a close net of people that will know that you know there has been instances in the past where people have been robbed you know, as they get to the bank they've been robbed etc. So again uh, you know it, that is mainly also due to some insider threat issues you know how did they how did someone know that person had the, the money yeah. so again you know it, those type of things so yeah it is it it does happen but um, they do try and manage it yeah
0: and it's interesting because in insider threats here in the us we most probably in a church maybe you're thinking a little bit of cyber or someone using their their knowledge but the insider threat in south africa is very real because that could turn into a physical robbery of here's where the money is located here where the money is going all the time is going to the bank so uh, a different type of insider threats i think between south africa and the us so fascinating i'm sure a lot of my listeners wouldn't even consider the offering to be much of a problem in the US in today's world because as you mentioned, most of the world is electronic a lot of lot of paper because as you mentioned, they get that gratification of putting the money in the in the tin. Interesting.
1: Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And then also you saw in the crime stats that motor vehicle theft is high. So left out of motor vehicles that's why we always you know we'd always alert the church goers don't put anything visible on the on your seat because as soon as you put something visible on your seat you have smashing grabs they just grab in something on mm-hmm. it and it also becomes very petty sometimes so if you drive in a specific make of car they will steal the badge of the car so they'll steal the badge of the car when you get oh. to your vehicle your front badge and your back badge is gone uh, they sell those badges um so it boils down to those petty type of crimes because in some churches the churchyard is not adequate uh, to fit all the vehicles, and you've got to park on the street parking, so so on the road. And you know, and and if you don't have, uh, you have volunteers patrolling with high visible, high vis jackets, you know. But it's not consistent, right? Because you you relying on volunteers, and and some churches don't have the finance capacity to actually pay for private security, so they're really reliant on those brothers mm. or sisters to support in creating that visible sort of network on the road so so people can see, you know, they see you, the, the likelihood of them doing it is low. You lessen the opportunity. So, yeah, and then lastly, the, the burglaries, you know, that is common.
0: Well, and you also said with the private security, when I think of insider threats, I mean, how, how good is that private security? Are they, are they often the ones that are being fed the information or feeding the information to where the offering and stuff is? That must be a real challenge in South Africa, trying to find private security, which is ethical and morally and, and not committing crimes themselves. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You, you would see that cash in transit heists in South Africa is high. So, yeah. um, you know, I can't talk on behalf of the banks and, and w- what investigations they go through, but absolutely no doubt is inside a threat, uh, that leads to the, and what they tend to do with these cash in transit, they, they, they blow up the, they blow up those trucks with dynamite. And once those, mm-hmm. once that truck has been blown out, the cash is all over the show. They take the bag, and the community oh, wow. takes the rest of the cash that's laying out yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's, There's it's, yeah, it's small people swarm like bees around. Yeah, you're very different yeah. and unique. But some risks that you have there in South Africa compared to US It's Fascinating. Yes. Yeah, so, what's the next slide? What did you have for us next? Yeah.
1: So the next slide, uh, it's just giving you a view of where. The political, you earlier spoke about, Simon, yeah, about apartheid, yeah. you'll see in this Yeah, period. tell us about that, Vince. So tell
0: us how it's gone. It was high. Um, then yeah. Nelson Mandela, then it started to go down, and now we country's seeing the increase again. So, um, this is fascinating. Tell, tell us a little bit about the history surrounding why you're seeing the murder rate now, now increase.
1: Yeah. Look, yeah, there's a lot of geopolitics tactics at play here. Uh, one must understand, especially from a political landscape. So, where you did see um, it, there was a lot of civil unrest in the country during the apartheid era, and when when uh, you know uh, Mandela took over, they, you saw that sort of stability coming in place. Uh, he had to give uh, you know over and take over, and and you know when presidents such as you know uh, the former president that came in, there was a state capture uh, about uh, you know case about corruption in the country. And uh, when that case came through, the report is, is out. It's a public report. If you Google State Capture uh, South Africa, you can, you can read about it, but that sort of destabilized the law enforcement uh, to a degree. And, you know, uh, and when law enforcement were never had clear direction in terms of what they needed to do in terms of their mandate, um, you've seen that criminals capitalized on this. Uh, because when we hosted the World Cup, you'll see we hosted the World Cup in 2010, and when we went to the World Cup, it was fantastic. We had the best. I mean, people till today talk about how crime was well managed during 2010 when we had the World mm. Cup. It was fantastic. We felt extremely safe as residents of this country. But again, uh, you see in this upward trend, it's scary. Uh, it, it's again linked to the poverty levels that continues to increase. Uh, and people, like I said, your life is just worth your cell phone. If, if you're not going to give yourself, that's why we always... When we do security awareness training, we always say be obedient, listen to your attacker, and give off your valuables. Even if it's your ring and you've got your that's the ring that you're you know, it's coming down 10 generations, it doesn't matter at that point. They're gonna yeah. cut your finger for that ring. You know, and, and some people that resist is those are the ones that will get um, uh, unfortunately they with the likelihood of them them murdering them, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's I was thinking about de-escalation the other day, so I just recorded a YouTube video where a translator pastor in the the West Coast of the US in Las Vegas, um, sort of neighbor dispute, and he ended up being sort of shot and killed. But I was sort of going over the case, and you know, no one deserves to be murdered by by anyone. But there was definitely some incidents within this case that I was researching where um, he might probably escalated inadvertently. His family did maybe the most didn't realize what they were doing, but they escalated the situation. I think you're right. In in times of crisis like this, the best thing you can do is be subservient and hand over the stuff and uh and and volunteer and 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 don't give any reason for them to escalate the situation because particularly in some countries like South Africa, that escalation um is pretty severe, right?
1: Correct. Right. That that is the safe part. It can be very severe. Uh, yeah. you know in some instances you, you you may be lucky but you know I always say sometimes you you have heroes but you also have dead heroes yeah.
0: um, so yeah.
1: it it depends yeah
0: yeah wow so as for murder right what was the, i know you want to talk a little bit about um the pastoral sort of protection and the um the look yeah. of the past. so maybe go on to that slide you yeah
1: um so if if we look at the risk assessment and and we just put out this one slide in terms of you know, there's an inherent risk that you've got to look at, which is if you leave a risk untreated, and, and you've and it's simple. Some people look at uh, risk assessments and say it's, it's a complicated thing. You know, people talk about risk assessments and they're talking about this model ISO 31000. Don't overcomplicate it. It's, if you have an inherent risk, which means that you have an untreated risk, for example, if you don't have any sort of security measures at your church and the crime levels is increasing, you've got to treat it. And if you have three to through yes. you know, and you, then you still have a residual risk, and then you have obviously a target risk. So these are these are just models that you can look at and at the church, and don't overcomplicate it. You know, use what works for you. You know, in in your con- but use the methodology. You know, whether you you would want to what is an acceptable risk to, to, for the congregation to actually accept because it's too expensive to 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 actually resource this risk and you ex- decide to accept it. If you want to transfer the risk, you've got to decide, okay, I'm transferring to private security. Private security will then assist you in church services and so forth. That, it's quite simplified um, in doing it. So risk assessments are not complicated. And especially here in South Africa, people would look at the risk assessments like, oh, you know, and it doesn't have to be a long 30-page report, by the way, because not many churches will have a budget to bring in a professional that can actually do it um, you've got to teach your volunteers on how to do it. Somebody that's willing, yeah. somebody that has that eye for it, and you teach your volunteer on how on how to actually identify risk.
0: Yeah, that's um, good. Well, a couple of things that you said, and on now one I like about uh, you mentioned transferring the risk, and, and that's something yeah. that maybe a lot of churches don't fully really know too much. But we won't actually touch it within this podcast episode. But if, if you have a risk. When you, Dean, was talking about transferring, it it was, i.e. hiring private security at your church, and then you're going to have shared risk that if they do something inappropriate or or they intervene, that risk is shared with you and the church. So that's that's quite common in the security world is is to transfer risk to someone else. We're going to outsource this service. So heaven forbid something does go wrong. Um, a lot of the risk is going to be on that organization. There's always shared risk, but um, that's what you, Dean's talking about, is it is possible to transfer some of your risk to other organizations, and that's a good way to try and sort of manage or mitigate your risk as well as to work with, work with someone else. A lot of people, I said to on a call today, you, Dean, when I do um, threat assessments, a lot of people will hire my company, Kingswood, to do it because they want to pass the risk to say, well, Kingswood Security said that this guy wasn't going to come here and attack us, and he did come here and attack us, so, so that's on them. But I, I, I do that knowing that that's part of the game, right? You know, that's that's that, that's sharing sure. the risk, and they're, they're passing that risk to me, which has the more more skills and abilities and gifts to deal with it. So, yeah, I just want to make sure we, we covered that. So go on to your next slide, then, you, Dean. I know you're going to talk about your... Um... Okay. Hotel, yeah. So, Eugene, talk us through then the risk assessment when you might have a pastor stand at a hotel or someone is visiting the house of worship.
1: Thanks, thanks, Simon. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, that before you start anything, you've got to do a risk assessment. And uh, if you have a visiting uh, pastor that's coming, you know, you you would have done your uh, risk assessment in terms of the popularity of that specific minister or, or pastor, and then you would actually then do a, a risk assessment. Now in front of you is a very basic risk assessment. Don't overcomplicate risk assessments, you know, because people look at risk assessments, they're expecting this 30 page document. It, it's not necessary. You know, you you just got to get a, the baseline rules for you to understand what the threat is and what resources to put in place to mitigate the threat. Baseline information such as who's the security manager, what's the reception phone number, what's the address, It's important to understand how many bedrooms are there if you have multiple guests coming in. uh, If it is a VIP, uh, you know, stay in the protocols. The VIP won't be on the ground floor. There's a specific floor. The VIP will be on specific protocols, you know, doing a necessary sweep, et cetera, if necessary. Um, It's important to find out parking base, uh, depending if you are going to get a lot of people coming in. And also, you wouldn't want to put, um, uh, you wouldn't want to do drop-offs in front of the hotel. If there's no other option, fine. But if there's a, if, if if the pastor is someone uh, who is populous, you would rather want to take them through a, a back door. It's important to also understand uh, the security complement at the uh, at the hotel. Um, it's also also good to understand they have been trained on baseline sort of security protocols. You know, you you find that out. Uh, security surveillance most most uh, hotels do have it. Um, I mean, you don't need to overcomplicate it to find out whether the person has a license plate recognition camera and. You know, the camera must be of good quality. You should be able to see a face at least coming into the lobby and to the parking area. And it should be covering certain key areas within the uh, within the hotel and should at least have 30-day recording. You know, if the cameras are just recording for five days or seven days, you you know for a fact that if you post, if there is going to be an incident, you're going to, the law enforcement would want footage, security would need footage, um, you know, et cetera. Uh, you also determine your first aiders your fire marshals on site whether there is a doctor um, and it is the doctor 24 hours uh, etc i think what's very important is to understand do they have evacuation documents in place Uh, when was it last updated because if the evacuation documents were updated two years ago it's it's not good enough evacuation documents should be updated on an annual basis annual basis or when something changes uh, that determines that the evacuation document will change because if you need to evac and if there is a threat, if you have a VIP, you need to know how to, how to actually uh, exit and if it is a bomb threat, you know, you have uh, your emergency uh, assembly area one and two, you, you need to know where to uh, assemble in an emergency situation. In in South Africa, you have an issue with uh, what we call load shedding, which is called power cuts. Now, it's very important to also establish that the electronic equipment, like, for example, CCTV, is on an uninterrupted uh, UPS. But it is on a power supply, so when the generator kicks in, because there is a delay, there is like a 15-second plus-minus delay before the generator kicks in. It is autonomous, but there is that slight delay, that, uh, and you can damage the equipment, you can lose the footage as well. But most uh, most hotels would have that. Uh, you've got to understand where is the safe. You know, if the hotel does have a safe, it's always important if you do have an international traveler, put your passport and that in the safe. Don't move around. It's not necessary to move around with your passport. You, you know, you can lose it and in any way of a situation. It's important to understand, like, the incidents over the last six months. Um, you know, just speak to the security manager. Build that trust with the security. Because sometimes they may not want to expose themselves. But if you build that trust, and this evaluation shouldn't be done like a week before. You should build that relationship. And and, and if you know that the pastor's that the coming to the hotel, go there in advance. If you have a two-month advance, let like go there and go regularly so you can keep on, you build that relationship with the security manager. If there's a pharmacy, it's important to know where's the nearest hospital. And if, if there's a requirement for bomb sweeping, you would do that uh, as well. And the hotel will naturally do it, or you can get law enforcement or private security to assist you with that. Um, that's what we do in in the space here, and then you can sort of level out your risks in terms of whether you know what the impact would be, what the likelihood of these incidents, and you just jot down a few things. Because sometimes you would have demonstrations. It's common in South Africa. Uh, demonstrations. We have at least 12 demonstrations a day, uh, and at certain times, like you know when people are getting salary increases or elections, you're going to see demonstrations significantly increase. It's important to understand where these demonstrations are. So what we what we do is you should have what we call predictive intelligence, understanding what's going to happen. You know, there's a march happening. Is the, is that march going to be taking place on your route that you are going to be driving? You've got to check that, and it's important to stay close to the close to the church if it is possible. If it's not, you know, then you've got to have to plan your your A, B, and C routes uh, to go to go to and from. Yeah,
0: Eudine man, you just took church security to a whole nother level going through that. I know a lot of listeners are thinking, what now? But, you know, it's dictated by the the risk of of your country that you have to go into this death. When you start talking about bomb sweeping, there's a lot of people thinking, my my head has just exploded. But it just shows the complexities of church security in South Africa. And what, what I did like, which does correlate to us here in the US, is that You're talking about looking after pastors when they're away from home or dignitaries coming in or or people to come preach to your church. I'm sure not many U.S. churches really feel like we've got a guest speaker coming in this week. What do we know about them, where they stay and do they they need a safety plan? We might have a good plan for our pastor for executive protection or pastoral protection. But what about a a guest speaker who's coming to our church who could equally be as high profile or be talking on a different um, topic or subject, which could be controversial so some of your things might then come into play then but not many churches in the u.s are going to be considering bomb sweeping but it's it's great to know you've opened their eyes um there now did you have one final slide i forget
1: i know this is the final slide
0: that is the final slide yeah yeah so i mean i mean i'm i'm grateful that you've taken the time to come and and walk us through this you've given me a lot of good nuggets i like your your risk determines your resource i'd really encourage the listeners to remember that That was a great line from you dean your risk determines your resource there could be things that you're asking for are they within your risk assessment are they are they needed um against the risk that your your church has and hopefully the things that you dean's taking you through have been informative they've been interesting to see how a, a, a high risk country deals with church safety and security so you dean um, thank you for for joining me. Is there anything that you'd want to say to church leaders here in the U.S. as they tackle the difficult subject of church security?
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Simon. Uh, I, I would definitely say uh, I've actually purchased all your books and uh, I would encourage um, the leaders to actually go through, um, you know, even though we, we're in a high-risk environment, I've read your book, Simon, and it's very informative. These um, decision decks uh, that you've got, on various scenarios where you've got a sort of active thinking about what do you do in these instances because each scenario is different and the response to it would be different depending on the church Uh, that's my recommendation my recommendation is that um, you know i've not seen church security where somebody has actually written about it and and there are there are some spaces out there, but I think you were quite concise in in, in how you've written about it. And uh, and when I was looking for looking for somebody that uh, you know, and I met you, uh, Simon. So I'm I'm very ha- glad that I, I found you and continue to grow that relationship. And 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 leaders in the U.S. must must know that you know you we know that when you go to church, we we serving God, but there's always that let out uh, out there. And if you Oblivious to the fact of what's happening out there, that's when you become—that's when you become a target. We—you really do not want to be a soft target. Uh, But yeah, but that's it from my side, uh, Simon. Uh, All the best. Thank you.
0: Well, Eugene, it's been an honour and privilege to talk to him. And for me, when I meet someone in a foreign country, such as South Africa, which is high risk, to know that what I write makes a difference and has helped someone—I mean, I, I can't that there's no greater gratification for me than to know that my books and my material are helping people across the world. So if you are like you, Dean, perhaps you could be in a foreign country outside of the US. I would love to to talk with you. I, I enjoy talking to you, Dean, getting to know him. Maybe I'll do a series or Across the World Insurance Security to see how people deal with it um, differently. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I hope what you, Dean, Um, shared was informative and will help guide your future decisions around risk management but for now you stay safe you have a blessed day and I'll see you next time take care everybody